0: Land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you.
1: This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show.
0: In this episode of the Australian Property Podcast, we are featuring a replay of an episode that occurred on our Australian Finance Podcast. My co-host over there on the Australian Finance Podcast, Kate Campbell, is interviewing none other than Chris Bates about the five essential questions everyone must ask their mortgage broker before they get into bed with them. Kate and Chris cover questions like, is a mortgage broker able to help me with my circumstances? How do you know if a broker is right for you? Or what range of lenders does a mortgage broker have access to and how does that impact their ability to service me? There are so many good questions in this that you might be thinking, what should I be talking to my mortgage broker about? And I encourage you to reflect on that. Of course, you can learn more about Chris and the Blusk business by heading to the link in your show notes that says access mortgage Broking."
1: Chris Bates, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today.
2: Okay, so good to be here. How are you doing?
1: I am doing very well. And we have a fun episode planned for listeners today, which is all of those questions that you should be asking your mortgage broker. And if they're not helping you with that, then maybe it's worth asking the question because I know a lot of our audience are really interested in property, whether they're saving up for their first home, thinking about their next move or an investment property. And if you don't already know, Chris hosts the Australian Property Podcast with Amy Lenardi and Pete Wargen. So that's happening every week. So that's another Rask production if you want your property dose more regularly, but Today, I wanted to specifically talk about mortgages because buying a property is a huge financial decision. You're playing with a lot more money than $5 or $500 that we talk about when it comes to investing for the first time. So you want to be asking the right questions. And Chris, I know one of the questions that we get from our community a lot, and we've been hearing a lot on the road is, is it ever too early to talk to a mortgage broker?
2: Look, it definitely isn't, to be honest. I think that, you know, no one really knows what to sort of do unless they know what they need to do, right? And so I would say chatting to a broker and just getting an understanding on how a bank would look at their situation. And you can even forecast it out. We often do this for clients and say, okay, well, I haven't got the savings today, but if I did borrow today, how much could I borrow? And I'm going to save really hard. How much money do I need for savings? There's lots of myths around, you need a 20% deposit and Etc. So you know, getting a, a rough savings goal of you know how big's the shortfall, um, then you've got a target, I guess, and then you can say, well, I need to save X amount between now and then. Maybe family can help. Maybe I've got I could sell my car. So there's all these sort of things that come off finding that getting that goal. You start to re reframe your thinking, and then I think you can understand what you can roughly borrow and understand how borrowing capacity works, and think, you know what, maybe I should push for that pay rise. Maybe I should you know uh, look to do this next year and that new role or would increase my borrowing capacity or maybe I could do a guarantor loan like I haven't thought about that how does that actually work so I don't think it's too early I do think you just you know if you've got uh, $50,000 of credit card debt and um, I think all your focus should be about paying that credit card debt down right maybe the home is a bit optimistic it's it's let's just nail one thing at the moment but If you're in that sort of savings mindset and you're really starting to put a focus on it, um, then I think absolutely chat to a broker because it could just be a 15-minute chat. It doesn't need to be hours and hours and strategies, et cetera. It could just be enough to give you that, okay, I need 15% deposit um, and I could roughly borrow X. Okay, I'm just going to now focus for the next six months on building that deposit Um, and at least knowing the things that you shouldn't be doing. So just be careful with credit, um, making sure you're paying all your Um, your credit card on time or your personal loan or, you know, your Optus bill and and just taking care of your credit file and things like that.
1: Yeah, because often we don't know all of the different property home buyer schemes and incentives available and what we should be doing, how much we actually need. We might just be working off those common sort of rules and assumptions or what our parents tell us that they needed. And so having a 15 minute free chat with a mortgage broker, maybe 6 to 12 to 24 months out could give you a lot of clarity and even help speed up the journey if there's something available to you that you didn't know about.
2: Absolutely. We We have clients that we spoke to in 2015 and they might work with us now. We have clients that multiple years down the line, like more than five. I can think of many clients that have spoke to us five years ago, haven't bought, and then they've come back to us. So Absolutely. Just that first sort of getting that clarity, getting that target, understanding a bit more about the market. What's the next best decision for them? Um, Absolutely. That's that's a valuable chat that a a good broker should be able to do.
1: Now, Chris, I know a lot of our community often have questions about finding a mortgage broker, whether it's through word of mouth or finding something on Google or finding something online. Are there any red flags that jump out to you that if you're looking for someone and you don't know anything about them, that you would go, okay, that mortgage broker might not be the right fit?
2: Look, I think a lot of people go to brokers, so they get a great rate. And so a lot of brokers think that's what customers want is great rates. So they that's their marketing pitches. I can get you a great rate and work with me because I know how to get a great rate. That to me is a little bit of a red flag. I think ultimately a great broker doesn't focus on products and rates straight away. Absolutely in time, when you're through the purchase or you've figured out that you need to refinance, absolutely rate and product and structure matter. But initially, it's about sort of helping you with your decisions. And so, if you you know speak to a broker and they just keep saying, "Okay, we should work with X bank and this is what your rate is," but they haven't really unpacked what your life goals are and what your plan is and what type of property you're going to buy and you know how's this going to work with you and your family and you know like all those sort of questions first. And I think that's a bit of a uh, someone who's just looking to sell you something, right? And um, unfortunately, the thing with rates is that you get a great rate when you first get the mortgage, but in six months' time that might not be the best rate because just the way the bank pricing works. And so um, then you've got to go on, you know, you haven't got to be a long-term relationship that you're building here. You've just gone there for rate, well, then you'll leave and just go somewhere else for rate. And you haven't really ever got a partner, someone to give you, you know, trusted advice and to guide you.
1: Yeah. And especially with such a big purchase, you want to find someone that you can ask questions and feel comfortable with because there's a lot of uh, stuff to learn during the the home buying process and how to structure a loan and understanding fixed and variable and when you can get a ba- better rate and all of that sort of stuff. So I think that's, that's really important. Just someone you can build a relationship that's going to look after you, more than just upfront. They're going to look after you long-term, uh, given it's such an expensive purchase. And just someone that can... You feel okay asking those questions and that is happy to explain things to
2: you. So... Yeah, it's a good point. I want to add something in there. So we we yeah. see it as like... Um- Because it is generally a transactional industry, right? The broking industry is selling mortgages, right? Um, It's more and more evolving into a trusted advisor profession. We're we're trying to be part of that evolution, right? Coming from financial advice into broking, we think it's got a huge role to play um, in educating people, right? And so, a good broker isn't really a a validator, right? So if you're saying, "Oh, I just want to do this," and they go, "Yep, I can do that," and I want to structure it this way, and they're like, "Yep, we can do that," and that sort of broker is not really being a trusted advisor and is challenging you. Is more just being a facilitator. And so, one mm-hmm. of the red flags would be like, are they trying to educate? Are they challenging you on your decisions? Are they even if it's something that you know you say something and then they uh, completely spend ten minutes educating you on a better structure, or why an offset account is important? That's a really good sign that this person is going to go the extra mile to make sure you're making a good decision rather than just going ahead with what you want because. Um, yeah, that's ultimately what you want.
1: Yeah, I love that one, Chris. So if we have a look at some of those essential questions that you should be thinking about when it comes to a broker, what is one of the the important questions that we should be asking our broker?
2: So I think the deposit question is a really good one. I think a lot of people really safe to try to get to a 20% deposit because they think they know that that means they avoid something called lender's mortgage insurance, something called LMI. Um, But sometimes paying LMI or lender's mortgage insurance is a good option, right? So it's understanding how that works. um, And, you know, what's the right deposit amount for you to be aiming for? Generally, it's like a 10% deposit or a 12% deposit um, reduces your LMI a lot. But then it's also saying, look, am I eligible for any government schemes, and these are always changing, right? So now at the moment, there's five percent deposit schemes, even smaller deposit schemes. There's first home super saver. So there's always schemes out there, and I think just maybe talking through with the broker based on my income, and you know, being a first home buyer, or maybe of, am I eligible for any of these in, in their knowledge? Um, and that that really figures out what's the right deposit to save for, because that's always changing, right? But Generally speaking, without a government scheme, it's usually about a 10 or a 12% deposit. We don't really do loans over 90%. Um, we try to get people to that 10% deposit, um, but it's not 20%. It's just a big enough hurdle at 10% plus stamp duty versus trying to save a 20% deposit. Um, that could take many years down the line to save that extra 10%. Um, whereas if you paid a bit of lenders mortgage insurance, you get into the market, say now versus in 12 months' time, You wouldn't be in the market. If the market went up, you wouldn't be worried about that small lender's mortgage, um, you know, insurance costs. So, yeah, the deposit's really a a big question. I think a lot of people um, should try to figure out first.
1: Mm. And you can also ask the mortgage broker about what you can do to improve your borrowing capacity as well.
2: Yeah. So once you know the deposit you're aiming for, like understanding what borrowing capacity um, is, you know, that's basically what a bank would lend you, and how does that how does the calculation really work? Like, what can you do to increase the amount a bank would lend you, and also re- reduce the uh, amount a bank would lend you? Right. And in the past, banks would lend you a lot of money. Right. Back in twenty fourteen, it could be eight, nine times your income. You know, back in twenty twenty one, or maybe seven times your income comfortably. At the moment, it's probably four to four and a half times your income. So, borrowing capacity matters now more than ever because it's so tight. You know, it's just. Before you go to a bank and the bank would say, oh, you could borrow, you know, a million dollars. You go, I don't want that. I only want 600000 Now you say, I want 800000 but they say, well, we'll only give you six hundred, right? And so anything that can increase your borrowing capacity, you probably want to understand. And so um, a lot of that's based on your income. So, you know, uh, your base income, potentially your bonus. Some banks would look at bonus. Some banks wouldn't. You know, casual income, overtime, Um and uh, it's also then based on any expenses you've got. So, you know, car loans or credit card limits really affect your borrowing capacity, hex debt. Um, so it's just about saying, okay, is there anything I can do to increase my borrowing capacity, uh, maybe getting rid of car loans, or is there anything I shouldn't be, you know, that will reduce my borrowing capacity that I can get rid of?
1: Is that something you would recommend looking at maybe six to 12 months out with a, a mortgage broker from when you wanna purchase the property?
2: Absolutely. So we would, we can often say to clients, okay, well, you're pushing for this promotion, um, or maybe you're studying, or maybe you're going to go back full time. Um, And so what we can do is forecast what your income may be in 12 months time. And we could say, well, this is roughly what your borrowing capacity would be. That's, that's based on current bank policy. And, you know, like we said here before, you know, you could borrow seven times your income in 2021, and, you know, four times your income in 2023. So, it's hard to sort of forecast that, but I think borrowing is right now ties have highest ever said. So potentially, if you did it on today's numbers and in 12, 18 months' time, if there were some rate cuts or APRA stepped in and increased, reduced the buffer, maybe your borrowing capacity would be more. But, yeah, absolutely, I think it's a good idea to do it on future income. We often do this when clients buy properties today, but they know that it's never going to be their forever home. A lot of first-time buyers, mm-hmm. and they've got this belief that I'm just going to buy something now to be in the market and then when uh, in three or four years' time, I'm going to upgrade to a house that's going to suit us um, but I'm going to try to keep this investment property and we sort of have to sort of bust that belief sometimes to say, well, to do that, your income would have to be X, Y, Z. Is that achievable? Um, and, uh, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. So maybe buying this property today is actually going to stop you doing that in a few years' time. Should you potentially not do that today and maybe think about, the next decision is there any way you could bring that forward um, or change it you know like uh, rather than maybe buying something just to feel like you've got a property today, but then in a few years time we know that you may regret it because you you know it stops you doing something else.
1: That's a really interesting discussion to have because personally when I bought my place last year, I wasn't thinking about what my next move would be in five or ten years time. I was just thinking about my very first move. so, that's it's it's an interesting way to flip things on their head and actually go, well, what would I want next? And will what I do now help or hinder that?
2: Yeah. So a lot of people are buying properties a little bit later now as well, right? So it's um, so they're getting potentially to that couple stage and you know, when uh they may be meeting partners a little bit later in life as well, and maybe the kids are, you know, not too far away. Um and so we often see um, you know, singles, for example, um uh, even though they're in new relationships, um you know, they, they want to, they've got these savings there and they want to buy an investment property and we go, well, is it really a good idea when you've potentially, you know, you've got a partner and maybe you want to buy something together and maybe you want to have kids in a few years time. And so that investment property sounds great at first, I've got something growing for me, but then the costs of the property are so high, you know, 5% to buy in and, a, you know, 3 to 5% to get out and depending on what, you know, maintenance and sunk costs and things like that you have. So, you know, you could potentially go two years down the line. If you have to sell that investment property, has it all been worth it? Has the stress and the risk been worth just getting something when potentially you should have waited to maybe get that clarity in the relationship and try to do something together? Um, uh, and so, yeah, we absolutely, um, and often we see clients, um, maybe they are together as a couple and they want to do something together, but they're trying to buy what they want today for their current lifestyle. And even though when you talk to them, yeah, absolutely, we you know we want to get married, we want to have kids, but we don't want to do that right now. We're going to do that in three years time. Well, you really should be thinking what's going to suit that next stage of life rather than what you want today. And um, that's sometimes, you know, it feels like a big commitment, but it's a big commitment. It'll pay off if that ends up being what happens, you know, versus just getting something versus renting today. Um, and then in three years time, it not being suitable long-term for you. And then you have to sell it and buy something else. It's, it's very stressful.
1: Yeah, and that's probably one of the good reasons to have that relationship with a broker because they might push back and go, if you wait two years, you might be able to do something much better. Or have you thought about what you want longer term rather than just the transaction today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We're sort of trying to unpack the, you know, getting a longer runway with your home, you know, the the property is very expensive to trade, which I sort of mentioned before. And so you don't really want to try to go in and out of the market as you know, do that as few as time possible. And so ultimately, if you are, it is going to be a stepping stone property, like everyone would love the house. And, you know, but if you are getting um, something to suit, you, you want to try to get that to suit you for a good runway. Um, and generally, that means something a bit bigger. And if it is a bit bigger, that usually means it's a better property as well, um, because it suits more people. And so, yeah, we're trying to get, you know, especially for those stepping stone, you know, younger families or younger couples is something that, um, yeah, will actually grow for them. Um, and actually, they can live in there for three to seven years. So if they can't afford to do that upgrade, they're not forced to move out in two years time, because, you know, it's a one bedroom apartment and, you know, they've had kids and that's just not possible. So, um, yeah, it's really trying to think through like logically how is this property going to get the result you want, whether it's just to build up some more cash for that next move, um, or it's also like to give you somewhere to live, you know, through those period through that period.
1: Yeah, I like that. Now, one of the other questions that we talked about asking your mortgage broker is actually asking them what range of lenders and products they have access to. How important do you think that is, Chris?
2: Look, it is important, but it's probably not the most important thing. And the reason I say that is, is you know, there's roughly 19,000 brokers out there and they're, they're licensed through, you know, usually four or five big groups. There's a huge amount of consolidation in the broking world. So you've got Connective and AFG and Low Market are huge now. They've got lots of different aggregators. Um, you've got the uh, real estate um, you know, they've got another sort of aggregator, et cetera. So, you know, there's there, most brokers are licensed through one of these big aggregators and then you've got these smaller ones. Um, so basically all ex- brokers have got access to, you know, I would say 95% of lenders out there, right? Because those lenders want to work with brokers. Brokers get about, you know, 65 to 70% of loans go through them. So it's not a small... It's not like the banks dominate and everyone walks into branches. That was maybe twenty years ago. Now brokers, you know, get two and three loans, and so the banks want to work with brokers. However, there are sort of certain lenders that, um, you know, digital banks, um, online lenders, no frill options, um, that brokers don't get access to because their marketing is direct to consumer. So you have to work with them direct. You don't get any advice. You don't get any guidance. You don't know if it's going to get approved the loan. Um, and so brokers generally don't have access to those because they don't pay brokers to introduce customs to them. They market through online channels. Um, and so, but yeah, if you go to a broker and you compare three brokers, ninety like 98% of their lenders would be very identical. Um, for example, HSBC aren't on uh, our panel, but they've just been added to um, AFG, I believe, and they were on uh, Mortgage Choice as well, I think as well. Um, so, that, but that's a small lender. They probably only have under 2% market share. Um, so, it's the online lenders, the digital banks, brokers don't get access to, and then occasionally some smaller lenders. But, you know, all the aggregators at all the brokers get access to similar banks.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Um, and so, there's so mostly everyone can access most of the providers so that you're not yeah. really missing out on any option if you go to one broker over another.
2: Yeah. There'd be like some small players that might be a couple of building side societies that, you know, just aren't going to get enough volume or demand from the brokers. And so that the aggregator is not incentivized to add them because they know they might only get $10 million of loans per year versus they write 500 millions with the big banks. Right. So there are those smaller lenders, Um, but the choice the brokers have is enormous. Like I think we've got 35, 40 different lenders on our panel. Right. So, That probably covers 99% of the loans that are written out there are on our panel. And pretty much every aggregator has got, you know, big, big panels of lenders. Hmm. Okay.
1: That's good to know. And what about um, talking to your broker about timeframes? So you get a really good understanding of how long everything's going to take. Is that, that a question we should be asking?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, sometimes clients come to us and they've already bought, which without pre-approval. Uh, sometimes clients come to us like last week um, or even yesterday. Uh, we want to buy something on the weekend and we haven't got pre-approval. And so you do. That's not the great situation to be in because if there is something, I've um, got a client at the moment. Something popped up on um, his credit file. Um, it's taken many months for us to fix. Actually, it's it's a, an issue with a you know, an old credit card and, you know, then you have to contact that lender and get it off their credit file. So sometimes, you know, leaving it late is not a good idea because there's, or maybe it's a new job or, you know, uh, there's something you need to, maybe your savings needs to increase. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, speaking to a broker many months before you want to buy is a good idea, just in case there's any issues. Now, you know, maybe 80 90% of the times there's no issues and you can get finance really fast. But if there is any issues, you might have to solve them first, um, which is happening for a client at the moment. Um, but you know and also there's a lot of myths of how long it takes to get pre-approved and you know the media sometimes says oh it takes a month or you know you spoke to a friend what might have taken a month back then when in 2021 when the market was really hot you know and all the banks were really slow and or in COVID when the bank's back office all got shut down but you know at the moment you might be able to get loans approved in a couple of days so yeah it's, it's just I guess um giving yourself enough time to you know go through that process if the banks aren't busy are busy which they're not at the moment but yeah just being aware of that
1: yeah and a broker should be able to give you a really good estimate on how long each step of the process will take
2: yeah absolutely so yeah you know, just a you know pre approval from the moment you speak to a broker to so getting pre approved should be under a couple of weeks to be honest like you shouldn't really have to drag it out much longer than that um, if you're looking to refinance a loan you probably allow maybe about two months to three months for the whole thing to finish um, because it's a bit more of a lengthier process with discharges and things like that. But, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, six to 12 months or anything ridiculous.
1: That's good to know. The The next question that seems fairly relevant to me if I was speaking to a broker now is if they do take, they look at everything, they recommend that maybe you should go with this provider for these reasons, actually asking them, why did you pick that option for me? How does that compare to other options?
2: Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a not so much always around rate, right? So it's about the structure, the type of product they recommend as well. So usually there's two types. There's like basic loans and there's more of these package loans. Um, and basic loans uh, can work, you know, because their rates are more introductory. They might be good for two years. They, uh, It might be a bit of a no frills option with no offset account, Um. And so if you're borrowing a small amount, that could be a good option. But generally speaking, when you're borrowing, you know, more than a few hundred thousand, these package loans uh, are suitable at the bank. It's just about understanding, are your discounts locked in for the life of the loan? Um, and, uh, you know, how you structure the loan and, you know, why and, and will that, Why did you pick that bank? Is it the credit policy? So, you know, uh, you might have casual income or you might have a bonus paid for one year, or you might be on a contract or, you know, you might be looking to borrow at a higher LVR and so it's there's reasons why the the broker picks that bank and it could just be their customer service and their experience is really fast right now and we know you're going to get a good experience versus going mm-hmm. to that other bank there it could take you four weeks to save five basis points and you know they're going to ask lots of questions because they're going to look at your situation they're going to go through all your bank statements and so you, your consumer experience isn't going to be great is it worth it for that slightly better rate saving and um or there's a risk of getting a declined loan because we've got, haven't got great relationships with BDMs, or it's a very so there's there's usually lots of reasons. I think asking those questions absolutely is a good idea because a broker has got those reasons, and um, you know, we'll, well, you know, sometimes they don't give you all those because they're trying to, you know, there's so much information they're maybe just suggesting this lender, um, and they can give you that extra knowledge, which will give you even more comfort.
1: Yeah, and especially you mentioned offset accounts. Like, are there any specific account features for loans that we should be asking our mortgage broker about?
2: Look, I really, you know, if it was me, I'd be trying to get loans that have got discounts locked in for the life of the loan. Um, Because what that means is that, you know, it's not an introductory rate. It's not just good for one or two years. It's good for the 30 years that you sign up for, right? And discounts now are bigger than they've ever been. And so um, just in the last three months, they've actually reduced discounts, which hasn't happened for some time. And so People getting loans three months ago have got better deals than customers today, right, because discounts have come down. And so um, so they're, you know, they're going to, re, you know, in 12 months' time looking to refinance, they're going, well, no, I'm actually on a huge discount. And so we never know when discounts could reduce. They have been increasing. So, um, yeah, what you want to do is get a package loan with a discount locked in for the life of the loan. And so just when you are speaking to a broker, just ask if that's the case, um. And if it is great, um, it's not to say that you, you, you keep that discount for the life of the loan. In 6 to 12 months' time, you may say, actually, there's bigger discounts now. Rates have gone, because um, what they basically do is they price new customers on bigger discounts and the existing customers on smaller discounts, something called a loyalty tax, which is a huge problem. And so as a consumer and what a broker should also do for you is constantly renegotiate and try to increase your, your discount and, and the, the price of your loan.
1: Are there ever fees with loans that we should be aware of too?
2: Um, there's not like a big exit penalty. That was sort of pre-2012 where there was these big you know, fees. If you left uh, your loan in the first three or four years, they would charge you this big early exit fee basically. So they all got banned due to competition. So there's not really huge costs generally. So you do be careful when you go into non-banks and sort of third-tier lenders, which might charge things called risk fees um, and application fees and valuation fees and things like that but what most people go through through the big banks and even you know the ing's and macquarie's and things like that fees are usually really low so you know there's usually a few hundred dollars to set it up you know nothing more than that generally um you know usually three or four hundred dollars a year um not thousands per year um and then usually about you know 500 to a thousand to leave a bank including government costs to be honest and so um comparing your fees it it sounds great okay so this one's maybe a hundred dollars a year cheaper. But if that interest rate is not as good or it's not locked in for the life of the loan or something like that, is that taking that, you know, slight fee saving might not be worth it overall because you're paying a slightly higher interest rate. And so the key thing is, and this is where people get a bit confused with comparison rates. I think comparison rates are done on loans of 150,000. And, you know, you might be buying 500,000. So that comparison rate is pointless to you because you're not borrowing 150,000. So really focus on the actual rate, And then figure out, you know, based on your loan, how much interest you would pay on that rate based on how much you're borrowing and then add your fees on top. And then you're comparing um, like for like, you're comparing um, your total interest plus total fees. And then you can see actually, this one's got a slightly, uh, has no package fee, but I'm actually paying a slightly higher interest rate, which overall is actually more expensive. and a good broker will be able to explain that to you. Um, but, yeah, be careful with the comparison rates because they're, they're based on $150,000 loans, not what you're borrowing.
1: There's so many sort of like hidden tricks, I feel like, um, in the industry. And so just like having some awareness of the, the terminology and the questions to ask is probably very helpful during this process.
2: Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a it's understanding, you know, and there's no no silly questions, right? Especially um, all walks of life, we get clients at all different, you know, backgrounds and industries and professions and things like that. And everyone doing it for the first time asks very similar questions. Um, because there is a lot to know. And, you know, understanding the process, it's quite confusing. You know, how does it work when, um, so I get this pre-approved, what do I do when I buy? What do I do? How do I refinance? Like, is there a cost? Like, how does it actually work? Like, some people really want to know the details. And, um, I'd really ask those questions and a good broker should absolutely want to help you through that because they know it's stressful. And I would ask those questions prior to, um, you know, actually purchasing sometimes as well. Like it gives you that confidence when you're buying that, okay, I really understand now I've got this pre approval I really understand what will happen when we buy. I know that I'll pay the deposit. They'll go back to the banks They'll renegotiate. They might look at other lenders. Then the bank has a much faster processing time because I purchased. And so, Yeah, just talking through that process through with a broker. um, Then you can go, okay, well, now I need to focus on the purchase. I I know exactly what I can spend. I know what will happen. I know how sediment will happen. Um, And so I can just put all my brain capacity on trying to find the right property.
1: Yeah. And the final thing to talk to your broker about is things going forward. So once you've made that purchase, how are they going to look after you into the future such as I know something you do is a regular rate review for all your clients.
2: Yeah. So we've got two team members that are constantly just looking at our existing clients and restructuring their loans or making sure that their pricing's the best in market. So um, some banks play ball, make it really easy for us. We've got portals and we can just say, hey, reprice, reprice. Or we have to fill in a little form. Or, you know, some banks make us do, you know, actual sign paperwork, which is a bit archaic. Um, so, but absolutely. I mean, a good broker. There's not really value in a broker churning your loans, right? Like rewriting your loan and going to, a, you know, switching lenders every two years for two reasons. One, generally you have to pay clawback, a broker. If you if you refinance in the first 12 months, they basically have to give back what they got from the bank. In the first two years, it's 50%. Um, but the second thing is it doesn't really grow their business, right? And so great brokers, you know, constantly not trying to just move you from bank to bank. It's just creating a lot of the work, Um and uh you know might pay callbacks but they're not growing their loan book um so you know you your good broker will, will make sure that you just stay at that lender try to negotiate your better rate that discount know what is a good rate and have the ability to use that leverage because they can say well you're on six percent you should be paying 5.8 we know how to do the pricing we can you know the way that we lodge it um So yeah, I'd ask a broker, you know, what do you do ongoing? Have you got a team to help us reprice this? Do I have to do that? Or are you more proactive? Um, um, How does that work? If a broker doesn't really know how to answer those questions, it's a good sign that they haven't really got a process for their existing customers. Um, They're more focused on new customers. And what might work is you get in the door and then 6 to 12 months' time, you haven't heard from them. They know they're Mm. not looking after your loan at all um, and your loan's slowly getting out of market and, you feel like you need to be managing it rather than, you know, having confidence that they're looking over this for you.
1: Yeah. That's a really good point because most of us have a lot going on in our lives and we don't want to have to remember every 12 months to nudge our broker to say, Hey, am I getting a great rate? Is there anything better that you can do for me?
2: And if you are with a broker, there's no harm. It's, it's, you know, we've got the luxury, I guess, of, you know, being in business nine years and a bigger team and having, you know, a growing business and, you know, to able to afford people in our team to actually do this because it's really like a managing our existing clients. There's a cost to that. Maybe it's, you know, yeah, there's income that we get, but there's a cost to actually for these people that aren't generating new business. They are in, in, in fairness as well, because sometimes the pricing comes back poor and we know we need to refinance that client. But, um, yeah. If your broker's still starting out and they haven't got that infrastructure, then yeah. And you still want to work with them. They're giving you really good advice. Doesn't mean you should leave, but just be a little bit more ongoing. Just reach out. I know you're really busy, but you know, do you mind if we just relook at your rate and you know put it back to the top of their inbox? And there's nothing wrong with that as well. So um, if they're a great person, you've got trust and you know, you feel like they're adding value, then don't leave them for that. But yeah, so give them an opportunity to you know but they just might't have the the team to do all these things it's just a, a luxury we've got
1: yeah, yeah absolutely well I think we've got some great questions here today Chris asking your broker about what deposit do I need is there any schemes or incentives available to me yeah would LMI be relevant in my situation uh, what what's my borrowing capacity and if I look forward 12 months, can I increase it by doing X, Y, and Z or by getting a promotion or by paying off a credit card? Uh, what, yeah. what lenders do you have access to? Though, as you mentioned, most I have access to most of the lenders. So that's that's really good to know. Understanding the timeframe, asking your broker to really let you know about how long things will take, how far in advance you should be sorting things out. Um seeing if it's a good fit. So once they do propose the loan to you, sort of asking about features, fees, anything you need to know about there and why they chose that option. So you just got an understanding. And then also future thinking about how can they help you review the rates? Maybe that's something you want to give them a nudge for and how they can help you with your next move.
2: Yeah, I think that last point is is really key. It's, it's thinking through like, if I do something today, how would that affect my next decision? So... Yeah, my first idea is to buy something for a little apartment, but then I want to upgrade. Like, am I going to be able to do that? A great broker will be able to give you that, you know, real understanding how that may affect you. And so we we do lots of scenario analysis. and Or if you've got multiple properties at the moment, like what happens if I sell that one? How does it affect things? Or And so, yeah, great brokers are good at doing role playing and scenario analysis in the future. And I'd really do those because it sometimes you realize you might be shooting yourself in the foot. That's great to know. Well, Chris,
1: if people want to get in touch with you, we have a link in the podcast player and your show notes. You're also the host of the Australian Property Podcast every week, so you can catch Chris there. And you also helped create our free property education course for first home buyers, which is available on Rask Education. So that is a very popular free course, lots of downloads, so highly recommend checking that out. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Really enjoyed it, Kate. Thank you so much.
1: No worries. We're all going to have lots more questions to go and ask our broker about now.
2: Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast.